and Apex Lab Podcast. Hey there, welcome to the Level Up Engineering Podcast, where we speak to the most experienced technology leaders from around the world. So stay with us to learn actionable management insights to take your engineering team to the next level. This show is powered by Apex Lab, a team of experts in end-to-end digital product development. ApexLab.io Welcome everyone, this is the Level Up Engineering Podcast and I am your host, Karolina Tóth. Today I have a very special guest here with me, Michael Lopp. Welcome, Lopp. Hello, good to see you again. Good to have you again. Um, (laughs) As a matter of fact, uh, we recorded almost exactly one year ago. Um, That's right. So maybe we can make this a thing now and we will have it every year. Um, Let's do next one in person. I'm I'm getting tired of being in these little boxes on video. I would so next time we do it somewhere face to face, hopefully. How much fun would that be? Um, that would be great. All right. I will I will take a note and now the rest of the world knows. Um, so Today I have you here um, for the second time and whoever follows us knows that you've been here before and you talked yep. about leadership, its challenges, mm-hmm. what you have learned in your quite exciting career. Um, I don't know that you need a lot of introduction. You've been to a bunch of companies that are um, extremely successful and <laughs> You've written a few books that are also (laughs) very insightful. And uh, now we have a special spin-off of the Level Up Engineering podcast beginning with you. Mm -hmm. So thank you for being the first Mm -hmm. one here. And uh, Absolutely. um, This is called Level Up Engineering Stories. We will be talking about one of your success stories, um, which is called Slack. You were uh, a VP of engineering at Slack. Um, yes. And this was a couple years ago and you were there for a few years. Um, yep. And we would like to see and pick your mind about all the things sure. that we can learn about running successful engineering teams um, in all a right. product company. But before we start, um, just please say a few words about you. And uh, for those of us who are not familiar with your black and white background, uh, <laughs> please tell us a bit more about your picture here. Yeah. Um, so the story is pretty boring, um, but it worked out really well. Um, you'll see I'm in sort of this cool black and white sort of Ansel Adams kind of vibe. Um, I've been doing this for, uh, I don't know if I did it for the first interview with you. I was probably in color then um i don't know maybe anyway i went to black and white uh doing peloton uh so i was doing like spin class at home because that's what you do now during a pandemic and i I sat down after a meeting and in front of this camera and and i was super red (laughs) because i was flushed from exercise and i looked really awful and i was like oh my god um so i'm like i I have i had pretty fancy setup here it's a nice slr and i got some other stuff here and i was like um what can i do about this blotchy red skin so i'm like oh i'll just turn off the color and i'm like oh that looks that looks really good um so i just stuck with it i i i I was thinking people ask this a lot and i I think i realized what i like about it is i kind of like dressing up when you go to work but we haven't gone to work in like a year and a half right so this is sort of my way to dress up because I always 
in meetings when I'm meeting new people, um, I like people like they're like, is my camera working? I'm like, your camera's fine. And she's like, they're like, this is really kind of different. I haven't seen this before. And I'm like, cool. And it's kind of a nice, it's a nice, nice introduction. But uh, I also think it just looks good too. So, I mean, it's going to be weird when I'm back at work and everyone's like, oh, wow, you have, you're in full color in, in 3D. So, but I'm looking forward to that quite a bit as well. But that, that's the story of it. That's why I ended up in black and white. Right. It looks good too. I Yeah, it does. I agree. I um, <laughs> I want to steal it, but I don't have a nice enough camera for that yet. <laughs> so um, thank you for that. Um, would you care to share? Oh, you want me to bit? say something about myself? Yeah, about maybe <laughs> about, your latest book or your your current venture. Yeah, yeah. So I've been I've been working in um, in tech for 20, 30 years now. Uh, mostly on the leadership side, um, done a lot of different companies. Um, I, <clears throat> I guess about 15 years or so ago, I was just writing a lot on my blog back when blogs were a thing. And I found that sort of there was this narrative and stories around leadership that, uh, you, the nice thing about blogging or putting things on the internet is you get feedback. And I was just putting random dumb stuff up there. And then I hit, I was, I don't know, I, I talked about one-on-ones or something and the feedback was just instant and like, and, and rich. And I was like, oh, I hit a nerve here. So people just kind of gave me feedback on what was working and what wasn't working in my writing. And it just let, head towards, it led towards management and leadership. So um, that turned into managing humans, which um, it's third edition is out there. And I just finished the fourth i'm actually editing it right now so that comes out later this year a fourth edition of that which is 60 percent blog and like 40 percent sort of other stuff in there so it's fourth edition it's like my proudest writing achievement that it's still doing well the publisher's like hey we want to update this and i'm like yeah but for like nerd books is a, a big deal because a lot of things are like you know very fashionable like a technology or something and you write it once and you move on to the next thing this one i get to like edit and make better and better and better so that that comes out in a little bit i did two other books as well uh being geek and then i just released one uh I, it's all a blur now last year called art of leadership with o'reilly so that's the most recent one so there's a bunch of books out there and i'm actually gonna um I'm actually i haven't said this publicly yet but i'll say it to you i'm actually rebooting being geek because it's the weakest of the three books uh, and, and it's because it's sort of this like it's sort of this career handbook for engineers um and that sounds like those words make sense but what does that actually mean and it's it's a very kind of complex concept so i'm gonna i'm gonna pivot into being more of a sort of a path to leadership book because a lot of the writing shockingly is about leadership even though i kind of made it this career handbook so i'm going to reboot it and turn it into something a little bit more sort of palatable for someone who's thinking about getting into leadership, which I think there's a lot of folks that are, have those questions. Anyway, that was more words than I was expecting. <laughs> Thank you for those words. Sure. Um, and we are looking forward to, um, to the reboot. Mm -hmm. All right. So stories, um, mm -hmm. Slack, it's a successful company. Mm -hmm. I I would bet that most of our <laughs> listenership or viewership uh, knows it or even yep. uses it on a day-to-day -day basis. And there are lots of kinds of different uses for it. And yeah, totally. People can even talk to themselves if they... 
Um, I use it as reminders and to-dos. I have a channel for myself where I just put reminders in. So yeah. that's my reminder list is one of those. So yes, lots of uses. So here is here is a good tip uh, to begin with. <laughs> uh, but before we get into the nitty gritty, um, you were at a different company before you joined mm -hmm. Slack. Uh, yep. If I remember correctly, you were at Pinterest. That's right. And um, I just wanted to ask how you ended <laughs> up at Slack. What was kind of the story? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it goes back even a little further. Before I was at Pinterest, I was at a company called Palantir for like four years. And before that, I was at Apple for almost uh, eight and a half years. And I'm back at Apple now, by the way. But we're not talking about that. Um, but uh, it, it's all kind of tied together. At Palantir, I wasn't really doing... Uh, product work. I was sort of doing culture work and, and growing the team and whatnot. And I went to Pinterest because um, I really wanted to get back into the hands-on sort of building of teams and building a product. And, and Pinterest was just, it, it is uh, this sort of infinite catalog of ideas. It's always that place you go and you're like, hi, hey, I wonder what kind, of, what kind of bookshelves would look good here. You go to Pinterest, you will see all the bookshelves and it's just a great way to sort of explore and to dream. Um, but uh, I got a I got a mail from Stuart Butterfield, a mail, a mail. Um, yeah, I, I know someone on Twitter reached out to me and said, "Do you want to talk to Stuart about Slack?" I'm like, "I am, I am totally happy at Pinterest." But you know, why not? I love Slack. I was using it then. I would like actively. I knew that I, I could see what the potential was, and I'm like, "Sure, I'll do that." And not at all thinking anything. Which look, Stuart, smart dude. I'd love to chat with him. And he's like, hey, you want to come in? And I'm like, I really, I'm, I'm really happy here. But I'm, I'd, I'd love to talk with you about Slack because I think Slack's amazing. Um, so, of course, I went in. And as all recruiting stories go, I would like, suddenly I was like, oh, shoot, I have a problem now. So uh, long, very long story short, uh, sooner than I expected to leave Pinterest, I left to go um, be the VP, first VP of engineering at Slack. Um, so it was not the plan. Um, but the and why pinterest is an amazing and continues to be an amazing product i i i slack anyone who knows me knows that what slack does and what lop does are kind of the same thing it's like how are we going to gather information how are we going to make teams communicate effectively how are we going to allow decisions to be better all of these things are both leadership sort of goals but also things that slack can help with and i just i love that i love that and this is pre-pandemic by the way obviously this is i was there you know three and a half years all of them before the pandemic um everyone learned a very powerful lesson about how hard it is to to work remotely because we all had to are doing it for the last year and a half and slack obviously is a i hope everyone agrees is a perfect way to kind of it doesn't replace the the face-to-face -face communication at all but it's so easily augments or enhances communication in, in large teams of, or small teams of people. I, uh, I really wanted to be a part of that and I wanted to help grow it. So that was a long answer too. <laughs> I, I, um, I'm kind of going off script here, but uh, yeah, yeah. it really sounds like like my first lesson from this conversation is that you really yeah. have to be aligned with the, mm -hmm kind of values of whatever company you are going into so much so that you can identify with yeah the yeah the, the values are harder to figure out i agree with you uh, the values of a company are harder to figure out uh, to me it was more the potential of the product i was just so 
what it could do and what I want to do in terms of growing teams were so like uh, the first time I went in there, I went into Slack. They invited me to come in just to speak as this brands guy that I exist as in the internet on. And I just went in and did an hour Q and a with the engineering team. This is before anything had happened. It was just come in and chat. And I, I was giddy. And I, I do these things a lot. I'm like, come and talk. I'm like, sure, I'd love to talk to your team. This was like, I'm like, I felt like a kid in candy store because I was in there on this product that I would actively was using and knew how well it could help. And then, with, and, it, and it's not just Slack. It, it's 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 IRC from years and years ago, and they obviously rebuilt it and totally made it better. But I I knew how much potential was there, and I knew that the nerd crowd would get it. But here it was being made approachable for everyone. And I was just super excited to, 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 to be there. So I'm like, hey, I have some feature ideas, everybody. This is in front of engineering. I have some feature ideas, everybody. Yeah, I'll talk to you about one-on-ones and culture and you know conflict management and all that sort of stuff. But can we talk about like emoji reactions? Because that's amazing. Let's let's talk about that. <laughs> that's awesome. Thank you. Um, yeah. So to, to get back to the story, that means yeah. that you... How should I phrase this? You were the lop that we all know when <laughs> when you got there. So it yeah. wasn't like a a real career advancement in the sense that like you changed positions and you came to the yeah. to the rise. It was a lateral the, move. So yeah. so you came here as VP of Engineering and you left when you were VP of Engineering. So you were yep. in the position for the entirety of your mm -hmm. time there. Um did you have some kind of a, a goal or, or if you could, well, of course, mm -hmm. emoji reactions, but like, <laughs> was, there, was there something that you could already kind of um, verbalize? Um, no, I mean, uh, yeah, yes, but it's, it's slightly different than what you're asking. Uh, kind of like we said a, a couple minutes ago, it's like, the thing that I am working on, I, I have to be deeply in my heart excited about. Otherwise, I get bored. And I, I infamously like leave companies every three years. Um, like this is a known fact. You can go read um, my resume. That's what I do. Sorry, future employers. Um, and it's just because I, I want to be f excited about what I'm doing and I want to solve whatever set of problems and they're always different i mean there's there's things that are repeating or greatest hits and sort of problems and growing teams but um i i i wanted that number one was just be excited about the work and um for me having this was my third rapid growth startup i knew quite a few of the things that they were going to go through um and i could really really help there because i i screwed it up so many times before that um, but really at the end of the day, it was like this, uh, this product and how exciting, I, how excited I was to be a part of that. That, that. So the goal was build something that is completely aligned with sort of your, as you said, values and, and like take it to the next level and make sure that it can survive. What is some of the hardest work you do as a growing company is that sort of like hundred to a thousand sort of growth curve. Right. And uh, so could you tell us a bit more about how the product looked like or what what it was like when you joined yeah. and and what it was like when you when you left? Yeah, it's it's uh, it was I was you, you sent me the question. So I've already thought about a lot of these. It, it was it was 
I probably, if I went back four years and saw it, you'd be like, I'd be like, whoa. But it was very similar product. I mean, this the idea that um, um, the core ideas were all there. The things that changed while I was there was uh, we uh, we were landing the enterprise product grid, so multiple workspaces, really going after that very large workspace. Um, a lot of the a lot of the pieces that changed were things on the back end because we went from, you know. 5,000 users uh, as sort of a, uh, I don't know what the average was, but like, you know, hundreds to thousands of users to thousands to hundreds of thousands of users and active at the same time. So there was a huge amount of backend infrastructure work to allow um, all of these very large companies that were seeing the value of Slack to be able to like, you know, um, be there. Stuart, like at some point before I got there, long before I was like, we are, we're mid market, you know, we're like, we want to be like a hundred to a thousand, these small creative, like he said that, um, which it's that, that's what it was designed, but like, it was, you know, it was customers like IBM that were getting on it. And <laughs> that's a nation and suddenly inside of Slack. So a lot of what changed on the back end was you didn't see it on the front end. Um, you, um, cause it just worked. Um, but that was where a lot of the change was going on was scaling up that stack to be able to work with that many thousands of people. And if we kind of steer towards the the personnel changes and the the, mm -hmm. the leadership challenges that you had to face, right? Um, right. How how did the engineering team or teams change while you were there? Yeah, it's it's kind of a boring story, but it was it was really sort of the development of uh, that sort of uh, there's there's it was they had some sort of director level sort of manager of manager types, but it was really uh, organizing around sort of a set of directors, the manager of manager types. There was a couple there, but they were kind of throwing the name out as like, oh, cool. Yeah, you're making progress. So you're a director. And I was like, cool. What does that mean? And they're like, eh, you know, we'll figure it out. Um, so it was kind of defining those roles and then finding the people to fill those roles internally and externally and, and, and building them and coaching them and getting them to, to kind of, you know, own their different parts of, of the Slack stack or the Slack org. So that was a huge, that was the majority of my job was recruiting and, and developing that leadership layer and not just the managers, also other leaders, you know, really, focusing on individuals as well and their growth. So uh, in terms of being leaders as well. So it was, that was, that was the biggest part was really kind of, again, this is, it was a similar story of Palantir, Pinterest and Slack of cool. We're, we're a hundred or so, and it's going to be a thousand in three years. Walk us through how you're going to scale that with having it, without having it collapse on itself. All right. And um, I, I was thinking about this today when I was when I was excitedly preparing uh, <laughs> for talking to you, and what I was wondering is how you view your change. So you mm -hmm. went there as an accomplished leader, as you said, you already knew right, what you were right. doing. You, you kind of had a feel for what had to be yeah. done. But yeah. this was also, it ended uh, in 2019. So this was a few years ago now. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you also probably have changed ever since. And so I'm yep. kind of wondering what kind of leadership 
takeaways you have about your growth while you were there? Yeah, it's the 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 biggest epiphany was that I don't think I really figured out how to be an executive until about a year into Slack. Now, if you go back and look at LinkedIn, you'll know that I was the VP of engineering at Pinterest two years before that. So that was really my first VP gig. The Palantir one, I was more of a, a director and it's complicated. But um, that, so what I just told you is that I didn't know what I was doing until year three of the role. So the first, because I was at Pinterest for two years and then about a year in. Um, the, the, we're really hard on ourselves as humans because when we kind of get into a role or a promotion games comes to us and the role is significantly different, whether that different, whether that's a, you're, you know, leveling up as an engineer or your first time manager or whatever, there's this, there's this uh, term that has came up with last week, which is you're aspirationally qualified, which means you believe you can do it and you're very excited to do it. And that's awesome, but you're not actually qualified for the role. Like a new manager isn't qualified to be a manager when he or she starts. That's just the facts because they've never done it before. So um, that's not bad. It's just realistic. So for me, and I think this is true for most kind of big changes to your job, it takes three years to actually figure it out. And no one likes to hear that because they're like, cool, I'm a director now, or I'm a VP, I'm a tech lead or whatever your, your title is. Um, but you don't, you're starting there you're starting there fresh. You're, I mean, you have all of your experience, but if it's a different role with a different set of skills, it's going to take time to learn it just like everything else. So my lesson, which I didn't realize in the moment was really, I wasn't really comfortable as an executive and what, what that role was until about a year in at Slack. I, I was like, I'm like, I'm a, this kind of makes sense now. And I wish I knew this when I was at Pinterest or I wish I knew this when I started at Slack. So um, that was, that was the realization was, how long it takes to be competent at sort of these, these big, huge, complex roles. So, and as you said, it's, it's continuing to evolve. My role at the current company is, is different. Um, and it's a different company. It's a different culture. It's a different set of things. And I'm about a year and four months in and I'm like, cool, I've got about 50% of it figured out, you know, and, uh, you know, in a year I'll be really someone that is, you know, a problem to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> So what I'm hearing is that, uh, and this is also kind of like not specific to Slack, but right. what I'm hearing is that you have to be kind of contextually mm -hmm. learning into the role itself. Mm -hmm. And then you also mm -hmm. have to learn the context in which you operate yep. as in that there yep. is a company around you and people and the culture. And, and cultures and rules they've had, social ones, spoken ones, unspoken ones, all that stuff that no one ever writes down that's super important to kind of any leader, any human actually in the, in the company has to sort of figure out over time. It's like, oh, why is it this way? It's like, uh, we've always done it this way. But why? Like, what is, why, why is this? Well, blah, 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 blah. That's just a long right. story. And you're like, oh, cool. Interesting. I didn't know that. Right. So what were, while you were at Slack in this period of time, what were some of the, like, if you can tell us some stories, some, <laughs> of, the, some of the most challenging times or, or something that you can recall that was yeah. particularly interesting? 
Yeah, the the one that the one that stuck with me was around the topic we already talked about is sort of like this rapid growth of both the team but also the the infrastructure. When I when I got there, um, the any engineer could push anything to production whenever they wanted. We were releasing we were releasing Slack a hundred times a day, like and it, that sounds delightful to me because like cool I you know like the the story goes like customer support at Slack is run by this amazing human named Allie. And when I got there, they were really proud that customer would complain about XYZ, a legitimate problem or bug. Uh, Allie, someone on Allie's team would talk to someone on my team and they'd fix it and they'd push the fix and the customer support would be like, okay, go try it now. And they're like, oh, it works. What did I do? And they're like, we fixed the bug. Like, <laughs> That that sounds that sounds like a, a dream, uh, but you can imagine the downside when it goes from you know sixty talented engineers to six hundred. So we we had a lot of we we really of course engineers want that sort of sense of feeling empowered to do things, but we had a lot of work and it to do in terms of sort of like staging areas and regression uh, pre-submission testing and all these things that everyone should do chaos monkey testing, all blah, blah, long list of things that we needed to do. Unfortunately, we learned about it when things were getting a little shaky. I remember one particular day where we were down twice in the same day, like down, hard down, like, oh my gosh, down. And the the the, the thing I said, which I don't think is true, but it, it was it intended to get everyone's attention. I'm like, hey, everybody, if Slack's down, the New York Times isn't going to publish. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like FYI, I, I, I I doubt they were fine. I'm sure they were fine. But the the point of the the story was this isn't a nice to have. This is we are business critical, and work is going to stop for a lot of people um, when we're down. And we needed to take that more seriously. Um, and it was a little bit of sort of uh, shoot from the hip, kind of releasing way too much. So we we went from releasing like a hundred times a day to take a more sort of stage sort of rollout of like three to six times a day. And it sounds really easy when I say it like that, but like what I'm talking about here is, is a really a two year process of like digging ourselves out of some pretty deep infrastructure, uh, tech debt and just tech debt in general that we had to go through. That was, that was super hard. And it was, and it took, it took a lot. It took us literally stopping one day. I said, okay, actually Cal is a CTO. We were this day that we were down twice. Um, Cal, we, second time we were down, he's like sending me a text. He's like, "Hey, we're not." It was strong, more strongly worded than I'm about to say. He says, "We're not going to release anymore until we figure this out." I'm like, "Got it." And I gathered together everyone in my in my office uh, in a, a, a conference room. I said, "Cool, we're not going to release anything until we." change this so multi-hour at the whiteboard remediation uh, you know set together a plan that's going to take months if not years to get in place um but it it took it took us getting into a pretty dire place to to kind of change it on and by the way fixed like you don't hear about and i haven't been there in a year and a half but like you don't hear about slack being down anymore it was it was years and years ago and that was a lot of hard work and a lot of um a lot of uh, lessons, avoidable lessons that we uh, um, 
have to go through. Yeah, I was thinking that, as you mentioned, Slack was down mm-hmm. twice a day. And I, I was thinking, what, has that ever happened? We use Slack. It hasn't. They've, they've so crushed it. They're doing such a good work over there. Um, props to Slack. <laughs> uh, so we, I'm kind of wondering if you can kind of get into this a little more <laughs> as to, as the VP of engineering, how much right. of your work is kind of being the visionary, working out the details versus figuring out the right. objectives of the day versus not really even touching the technicalities at all and just like being the leader for the entire right. engineering department. Yeah, it's it, it starts with sort of understanding sort of the, the, the executive leadership in engineering. Uh, I worked for the CTO, Cal Henderson. He's one of the co-founders. Um, and a question I get asked a lot that sort of starts to frame the answer to your questions is sort of like, what's the difference between a CTO and a VP of engineering? Um, the way I view this is in this scenario I was in is Cal built the machine, like literally built the machine. And my job is to run the machine. So and that when I say machine, I'm talking about not just Slack, the service, but all of the humans that that work on it and kind of are productive and getting things done and are, you know, following values and principles and that sort of thing. So my hopefully well-known sort of specialty is the people side of the equation. So it was kind of a dream scenario because Cal knew because he's a co-founder and had written a lot of the code, um, really knew the, the tech stack in a way that was incredible. And it's certainly things I cared about and things I knew about, but my day-to-day was really focused on the three P's uh, the process, uh, the people, and, and the product. So that was my job was to figure out how to grow that. So anyway, that's number one. Um, the how um, my day, how much did I focus on strategy versus tactics? I think is what your question is. Um, it, it really it varied depending on where we we're at in terms of sort of product cycle and whatnot. There was times where I was very tactical and just helping get a big feature across the line. Um, and there's times where I'm just sort of working with all of my other VP types and kind of planning sort of the next six to 12 months and saying, these are the things we need to do, whether that was product stuff or people stuff or technology stuff or that sort of thing. So it, it varied. Um, and the other, the other really important part of, of the job, which is, is the unexpected stuff. Um, you're <laughs> the, the lovely thing about, I say that ironically, the the hard part of the role, one of the hard parts of the role is you're the human in charge of all of the things, which means that things that tend to get to you have already kind of passed through your people, your their leaders, their leaders, and they get to you. So most of the things that land on your plate are already for alarm fires because if they could have handled it, they would have. And they're like, uh, hey, Lop, we need an issue. We need help on this. So there's a lot of there's probably a, a 25% of any day is dealing with the unexpected set of things around. Um, um, uh, thank you. Um, do dealing with the unexpected set of things around um, that just show up kind of randomly. So um, anyway, that, 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 and that's, that's a, like, it could be anything. Like you just, <laughs> you get used to it. You're like, you can start to kind of smell it and go like, 
oh, this is a huge people disaster that they're handing me right now. And this is going to dominate my next 24 hours, right? That happens all of the time. So, and it's interesting though, because some of those things you look at and go like, why did this happen in the first place? Like what, 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 whatever this situation is hypothetically, and it turns into strategy. It's like, oh, how did we get here? Oh my God, I have a huge issue in terms of leadership in this team because someone isn't doing their job because this thing caught on fire and got to me. So there's a lot of that too, where you're like, okay, cool. I now via a disaster and tactically getting through the disaster that turns into strategy. I'm like, I got to solve this like further upstream. So um, that was a long answer to your question. So in but, these yeah. cases, well, you would go and discuss with the with the CTO, or would you? It depends on the yeah. We're, we're talking abstractly. It could be yeah. or talk with my team, or 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 talk with Stuart, or talk with the head of product, or any you know whoever I need to like go and sort of like brainstorm with if I need to kind of gather more signal there. But so if, as you said, there are a lot of people who aspire to <laughs> some leadership position. Why would they do that? It's a lot of work. Exactly. <laughs> and it's even work that is sometimes not viewed as work because you're not banking on keyboards. Yeah. Most of the time. <laughs> so uh, if someone is listening who is thinking about making this big move to to a company that's, you know, about to be the next big hit. Right. Uh, right. They should be prepared for a lot of problem analysis and uh, a lot of communications is what I'm hearing. <laughs> There's a lot of communication. There's a lot of sort of unexpected showing up, things showing up on your plate. There's a lot of, like you said, um, sort of triage, like what? I, I know what they're saying. I know what they're saying and how they're describing this, but what is really actually going on here? I had one of these literally this morning. It's it doesn't matter what it was, but it, it, um, someone saying, my person's cranky about this. And I'm like, uh-huh. And I'm like, is this, is it, sorry, we're speaking abstract, but can't talk about specific things. But like, I said, what about A, B, and C? They're like, yeah, A, A, but not B and not C. I'm like, ah, so it's this. And it's this completely other thing than what we're talking about here. Um, it's something about expectation setting, but this person and they're like, sorry, I'm making, I'm abstracting things so it's not obvious what I'm talking about. But it was like, oh, this is the lesson this person needs to lead, learn in some way, right? So I need to figure out how to teach that to them. So like that is all just part of the job right there. And like you said, I, I'm spending an hour or two thinking about this and figuring it through and not banging on any keyboards. But it's a real problem. And it's a real thing that I have to go fix. And it's it's a real thing that I didn't think I had to fix this morning or earlier today. And, um, and it, it's fixing it isn't going to be it's not like code i can't like write some code or write a test i actually have to teach this person something and i have to make sure they heard it and then i have to see them demonstrate it to me that they they, they heard it in a way right like it's this is this is why would you want this job it's super hard <laughs> I, I love it though it's fun and that is what my next question is geared towards it sounds like You've done this a lot of times, right? You also have been in the industry for quite a while. And in my head, there is this preconception that um, young and up-and-coming companies are looking for young and up-and-coming people who are full of energy and want to take on the world and 
and all these things and yet you somehow keep your energy up and kind of seem to have this kind of determination together with this enthusiasm and effectiveness mm-hmm. how yep. do you keep it or how do you do it? <laughs> um it goes back to something we talked about the earlier is like i don't the idea of languishing in a job like literally saying that to you makes me angry like that someone would sit in a job and say like, this is and by the way i like working hopefully that's really clear like i really do like working quite a bit and there's other folks that have different lives they really like seeing the world i like seeing the world too but i really like working like i really like i like that sense of productivity right um and when i say languishing the job i i get super angry in my head because i think why would i if i'm in that i'm going to change something immediately perhaps irrationally if i'm like oh i'm kind of stuck in a rut here like my wife knows this. She knows exactly when I get this realization that I'm sort of, and it happens about two and a half years into a job, by the way. She hears this thing. I'm like, I, I say something. I go, yeah, I'm kind of bored. And she just goes gray because she knows I'm about to go and change everything. She's going to be like, he's going to like quit his job. He's going to go somewhere else about something I've never heard of. And, you know, it's gonna it's kind of you know she's taking care of the whole household and i'm just kind of running around bumping into walls changing stuff so i um the energy the reason i'm fired up is because i I only work on things that are engaging me and that i love to do which is a super privileged thing by the way the fact i can have that much opportunity um but i i the moment that it becomes rote or it becomes familiar or whatnot. I'm like, cool, I'm done. Let's next, let's go work on something else. You know? Um, and it's, it, you're, you're laughing. Uh, there's downside to this. Like I, I tend to really sort of engage with things that are the bright and the shiny and, and I'm really good at kicking off the product or the vision and everything. You, I will, you're the, I'm the person you want. If we're going to say, Hey, let's go charge the hill, climbing the hill. Not my best skill set because it's kind of boring. It's actually the hardest part of the thing. Getting to that final, like that last 10% of getting to the, the summit, super hard. I love that part too because it's like we're just scrapping together and trying to figure out how we're going to get it all done. So I, I tend to be really good at the beginning and the end of like the product cycle. But to answer your question, the um, I, 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 the, I always not reinventing myself. Fascinating compelling challenges in front of me because the idea of language in a job is abhorrent to me and that's my thing i'm not saying that's for everybody that's just the thing that i do it's got to be something new and something interesting and something to learn or some incredible challenge or some competition that i can go win i'm always looking for those opportunities um, that was a good answer yeah it was <laughs> so kind of jumping off of that and also mm-hmm. very relevant to that um one also it's a preconception of mine another uh-huh. challenge for for up and coming companies that are growing fast is keeping the people the most important mm-hmm. people yep and it seems like you kind of know one part of why people would quit a company yep. that's seemingly doing really well um yep. What are some of your strategies to keep the people around who you like working with? Sure. Yeah, it's um 
the 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 blog post that I wrote around this that did really well um, really simple simply answers your question and it's easy to say and hard to do which is most of my <laughs> most of my little tweets um, it's bored people quit um, the, the, a different version of what I just told you which is sort of like these folks that that I want to continue to work with they the moment the moment that they look or smell or even hint of boredom, I change what they're doing. And I put something new, interesting, and big on their plate. Then, And by the way, the goal, winning, is detecting their boredom before they're bored, which is super hard. But, but like, if I'm in a one-on-one -on -one with Craig, you know, my, my senior lead for, you know, Team X, and he says anything that gives me a hint. And I'm working for two years, he's amazing, he's cranking, he's getting all the things done. And he says, eh, da, 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 yeah, when this is done, I'm not sure, blah, 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 blah. And all I heard was I'm bored. I'm like, um, um, okay, cool. And in my head, I'm like, okay, clock is ticking. I'm three to six months away from him quitting in my head. Um, and I, um, so what am I gonna do? I'm gonna get him on a different team. I'm gonna I'm gonna move my one-on-ones from fortnightly to weekly, and we're gonna start debating architectural strategy or product strategy. And I'm gonna get the moment that I he says, "God, I'd I'd really love to prototype the blah." I'm like, "Cool, let's prototype that." The 14 things I have in my plate. I'm like, "I'll find someone else to do them." Um, I I simplify when I tell these stories because those 14 things have to get done and I have to figure out how to do it. But I'm going to clear the way for this person to go and get to their next thing because the moment, just like me, by the way, the moment that uh, they're engaged and kind of like, cool, this is my new problem that I'm working on here. They're not thinking about boredom. They're not thinking. All they're thinking about is how am I learning right now? And isn't this cool? And like, what's the challenge here? Like, that's the state you want everybody to be in. It's hard because um, there's always like awful crap climbing the hill work you have to do. We all have to do. But that's what I do is, is keep those folks, um, keep a, a problem, an opportunity, whatever. Like there's a whole other, there's a whole other strategy around. Well, I really want to see what it's like. To, I want to be a manager, right? I've, I've been doing, I'm an architect now. I want to be a manager. I'm like, I'm like, that's a horrible idea. Um, I don't say that anymore, but I say, cool. What we're going to do is we're going to, I tried this at Slack to some success. We're going to create a tech lead manager. So I'm going to give you three people. They work for you full time. You can be a manager and here's the rules and here's some training, but you're still coding 50% of the time. So you can try before you buy. And if you love it, if it's great and you start to scale yourself and your team, we'll make you a full-time manager. If it's not great, if you're sort of doing 60% coding and then 65% coding, then we'll we'll like we'll go the other direction. And um, when that happens and everyone's like, oh, Craig's not a great manager because it's not the story. The story is we tried it. You didn't like it for these reasons. That's fine. Great. Let's go be, let's get the other interesting thing on your plate in terms of being a great architect or, or, or a more senior uh, engineering leader uh, without being a manager. So that's the thing I do. I, I make sure that you have a fascinating problem in front of you that fires you up. Uh, so if, if we are at a, at a product company like Slack and you're the VP of engineering and I perhaps I 
I'm thinking the CTO would be the one who is your your direct senior. Yep. And, In that case, yeah. And I am having a one-on-one -on -one with you and uh, I hear the hints of you getting bored of us kind of leveling <laughs> into climbing the hill. Uh, what is one thing I can do to help you stay? Help me, Michael Wobb? Well, yeah, help help you stay with Slack. I am in the point of view that it's really great for you to be at Slack. It's great for Slack, and we are just really having a great time here. And I don't want you to leave. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting. Um, I think to truly answer that question, you'd have to ask someone who was my manager over the last 20 years, uh, and those are CEOs and CTO types. Um, Cause I don't, I, I actually don't know the answer. Um, cause I'm not them and how they view me. Right. So I, I can reflect on it. And, but I, I think my answer is very biased towards me cause I'm me. Right. Um, I, I, I take it very seriously. My, my professional growth for reasons we've talked about many times in the last 48 minutes. Um, I, I, I feel like it's my job to manage that. And that that's not, I have managers, they've been great, you know, they've done stuff, but like, I'm the one who actually knows what I need. And, um, and again, as I've said a couple of times, the moment that I'm like unhappy uh, with a small or a large thing, like the, 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 the ferocity that I go after my unhappiness is, <laughs> is impressive. Um, Cause I, I don't like, I don't, life is short. I only get to do this once and I want every, literally i want every minute to be to be important and relevant and valuable and productive and you know even in my downtime i like looking for the next best video game so i can be have fun with these moments that i have that are you know i i really take my time my every moment seriously um fear of death maybe probably i don't know what it is but like it's up to me relative to my profession to see why i'm bored and to address it and i i, I think I think I'm probably bad at asking for help. Like I probably will suffer more to solve a thing before I, you know, and talk to my boss and say, Hey, you know, this is hard and I don't find it that interesting. So you're getting 50% of me. So please help. Um, so I, I, you know, I should be better at that, but I also think I'm very, I very, I want to be an example to other people that they have most of the ability to change their professional career and they're they're either asking for help or or choosing a different thing or you know changing what they're doing how they're working in a small scale like i want individuals to feel empowered i i, I waiting for someone to tell me what to do also makes me super mad <laughs> just ask my wife she's like this is you can't tell him what to do you can ask him what he thinks about a thing and if he chooses to do it that's great i, I it's called being tell assertive versus ask assertive. I'm very ask assertive. And if you tell me to do something, I'm like, um, so i clearly need a lot of therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all. Um, so with, um, just kind of steering back to, to the Slack story, um, mm -hmm. you mentioned, um, you mentioned this lady, Amy, who was mm -hmm. head of customer service and, um, how Allie, Allie. Allie almost yeah um, got it and um she she was really in line with development and and making it kind of very effective within the size to to help customers 
Yep. Um, how did you kind of move from that to the bigger engineering team and the longer release times and right, being right. not so reactive to to customer feedback? Yeah, it's uh, it it did start with sort of this inflection point of like we really have a problem here and um what we did in that sort of war room that we called, we were like, we're not releasing. This is, again, we're releasing a hundred times a day. We stopped it, I think for like two weeks, except for like critical, like roll the logs or other sort of operational things we had to do. Um, but uh, I'd say there's probably three phases and it, it's, we don't have time to go through all three, but phase one was just, where are we bleeding? Like, where is the obvious, on fire bleeding parts of how we're building software right now that we can that are urgent and important and we can fix pretty quickly so um some examples in there we're like okay cool like um a staging area where we could you know test before we release to production right um uh a, a more of a release train methodology sort of like okay cool everyone the release train is at two o'clock Everyone who wants to get in the two o'clock one, check in by blah, and then that's the two o'clock release. And then if you don't get that, you're gonna there's another one in four, right? So these are and there was that was both short term things as well as sort of longer term like tooling things. You have to build sort of a release train methodology and the tools to do sort of that. But it it was really sort of identifying the short term wins as well as the medium term wins, and then the long term things is you're gonna be really hard. We have to land it. So. And, and number two was getting out of sort of the firefight, like of everyone just being terrified because we terrified everybody when we said we stopped everything and you like, and more like stop breaking the build, right? So we had to also sort of re everyone set everyone's expectations about what their responsibility was in terms of like, hey, you're doing a check-in, here's your checklist and these are the things you need to do. And it, it's, it, you know, as I start saying these things, the folks that are, you know, at their startups right now with 10 folks and are releasing at will, they're like, process. Process is the worst. Right. And like, I really, I really in my heart get that. But um, the the way that I twist that around when someone gets cranky with me about like bureaucracy and whatnot is two things. I tell them, number one, process is documented culture. It's the means by which we learned a thing that we said we we captured it and said we do this this way because right so picking on an example from something what i said when someone's like hey why do we only release four times a day at slack on these release trains i'm like well let me tell you like we were releasing 100 times a day and we were growing at blah 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 rate and we were crashing slack twice a day that seems suboptimal right and they're like absolutely um and i and i told them a story and i i, I justified why this process existed the process didn't exist because some program manager was like, we should do it this way. The process exists to solve a real problem and that we were seeing and, and we solved it too, which is why two years later, I'm telling the release train story to, to Ted. Um, um, but there's a very important thing in there um, about process, which is it always needs to be able to defend itself. It needs to be able to explain itself. When someone comes to me and, um, and not now in prior prior life and says, um, you know, hey, I have this problem with this process. I'm like, I, I'm not familiar with it. Uh, who who owns it? Uh, Frank. Cool. Um, go ask Frank about how why this exists, 
And if um, if you don't like the answer, you don't have to. Do, if you can't defend it to you effectively, you don't have to do it. This has gotten me in a lot of trouble um, because, <laughs> <laughs> because Frank doesn't like it, didn't hear the person, and then just goes around them anyway. But the point is to um, you have to be able to explain these things, this process stuff. It's because it because it gets it becomes sort of like you know, structural culture things in a company. And we've always done it this way, but it, it's there for a reason. It came to address something that happened long ago. And if no one can tell you why we're doing this anymore, it's time to tear it down and to do something different. If it's impeding some creativity or something else, right? It needs to constantly be reinventing itself. So um, I got into my process talk. So thanks for listening to my TED process talk. <laughs> so now that you have done it a few times, if you were <laughs> to go to another company developing a product and being on the verge of becoming the next Slack, um, yep. would you implement some processes because you know that there will be issues? Or would um, you wait for the yeah. issues to arise? Um, it's, it's a really, really good question. Unfortunately, it's an it's depends question because what I have learned um, is that every group of people sort of works in different ways. Um, like, I, here, let's, let's simplify it even further. If I took 10 great engineers that are working on a Slack-like thing and um, actually they're working on a, the same 10 engineers working on two different products at two different companies. Mm, that's not right either. How do I want to explain this? Uh, every group of people is different. This 10 people building Slack um, versus 10 other people building exactly the same product are going to build a different product. They're going to do it in a different way and they're going to end up with a different set of rules when they're done. Facts, right? Total facts. So if I was plopped into that 10 person thing and I knew exactly who the people were, I would still sit back and I could like, I size them up. I'd still sit back and see and look around and try to figure out, okay, cool. What, what versions of the problems does these 10 have and, and work there? There's probably a couple things though, just to contradict myself a little bit that I would probably like do right out of the way, right out of the gate. For example, um, a career path. Um, I would actually take a very early swag and saying, hey, by the way, we're going to have three types of engineers, uh, A, B, and C. And these are the rough attributes that I'm looking for here. Um, I've spent so much time at a thousand person corporate company where we haven't done that. And we've had to sort of retrofit sort of growth, an objective growth criteria to, to a thousand folks. And that's a nightmare. Um, so there's things like that, that I would, I wouldn't try to boil the ocean, but I would probably land a couple of artifacts and say, hey, so I'm thinking about career growth or here's the product process or here's sort of a, a rough um, a rough framework of how we make decisions here. And again, super simple, like simpler than you'd think was necessary. But I'd be like, cool. So who owns product? All right. The, the product managers do. They, they, they are or there's other companies where I'd say it's a triad. It's product, it's design, and it's engineering. And if they're, they can't decide, um, the CEO is a tiebreaker. I'm making these up literally right now, but those sorts of things I'd probably, I'd probably scribe after I sniffed around a little bit and said like, they're, they're stuck on this or they're, they're moving slow on that. So, right. So it, and then, well, with, yeah, yeah, go on. Yeah. Well, and also preventative, preventative maintenance things like the career path being done early. 
I bet they would giggle at me, 10 engineers. If I came in and said, hi, I'm the new VP of engineering and here's your career path, they'd be like, what? Like, we don't even have a company yet. Like, <laughs> I'd be like, I mean, it's cool. I'm just going to put it up on the wiki and, you know, but like in a year, they'll be, they're going to come back and say, hey, I'm ready to get to the next level. I'm like, cool, well, you're this and here's your role. How are you doing all of this? And they're like, oh my God, this has already been here. We already have a, we have a plan. This is amazing. <laughs> right, right. Or they would come and say, I can't right. remember the thing that you were talking about a year ago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Um, I just wanted to kind of uh, paraphrase to make sure I understand correctly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That you kind of come in and you talk and you listen, most of all, yep. and kind yep. of scan the room. It's like one of mm -hmm. the things that I learned from you. It's like you put it so concisely when you said you always have to kind of measure the people who you are surrounded Absolutely. by. Absolutely. Yep. So so you are building a feel for the company, mm -hmm. but then there are some structural things that you know work and they're necessary for good work. And so those you kind of yeah give them to play around with, maybe. Yeah. I think I think it more of it like yeah, I, I it it's sort of incepting them. Like here's here's another thing that I would in this hypothetical ten person organization that we are joining. Um, what is their religion on management? They probably don't have any managers right now. Or oh, there's one person. She's the VP of engineering and she's got nine direct reports, right? So why do they hire me? Um, but <laughs> um, but like you know, they, I, you probably hired me because. I've had a pretty good track record of growing companies for the last decade. That's like done it three times in a row. All three of them IPO'd. Hope someone's counting. Um, so I'm, I'm good at that. A uh, part of that. Um, the uh, So 10 people. Managers. We're going to have managers here? Well, if you hired me, there's definitely going to be managers. Um, and, but that, that sounds like a threat. <laughs> um, but... I'm going to define what the role of the manager is and um, what he or she is responsible for and what what powers they have and what powers they don't have. Uh, this is super awesome. Like uh, I, 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 to have that early and not to have like have a little template of like, cool, I'm interested in this thing that I'm going to. And again, it's not I'm not it's not this huge like Magna Carta sort of, you know, definition of what a manager is. It's just a simple sort of way to understand it. But what I've done in that hypothetical scenario that's super important, I said, we're going to have managers. They're going to have these abilities that were there. Um, and uh, I, I, believe it or not, how much consternation I've taken out of future iterations of that company is a lot because they're not going to have that. So what do we do about managers? Hey, we should do holacracy. What do you think about that? Nope, none of that's going to happen. We're gonna be. We're gonna have managers, and it's gonna it's gonna solve a lot of problems. I'm not saying it's the way; it's just the way that I choose to do it. And by declaring that early, I've saved a huge amount of stress and conversation and debate. And that that's probably one of my the hardest parts of of being a good leader is your success is the absence of drama. But nothing happening is you doing your job well. And like, how satisfying is that? Pretty not satisfying because no one gives you a compliment when nothing blows up. Like, it's just kind of, everything's working. This is great. You know, there's all these folks that get so much, you know, credit 
for doing the diving save and all this sort of stuff, which is great. And these humans are valuable. But we, why did we get there in the first place? Some leader screwed up two years ago when he or she said, by the way, we're just going to release Slack 100 times a day, YOLO. Like that was a mistake because that's not a critique of my good friend, Kel Henderson, who I love dearly because rapid growth, Slack was the fast, is the fastest growing or was, I don't know, enterprise software in history. So like, <laughs> and that's a roller coaster you're going to get on. But like we, we, we screwed up two years ago before like we had this horrible situation. And in terms of not, thinking ahead and not pre doing preventative maintenance to allow us to scale. And there's a million very good reasons that we were there, but still like we should be hard on ourselves as leaders when something blows up. Cause our job is to not let things blow up. <laughs> That's a nice way of defining what a leader is. Uh, so you all, uh, touched on this um, a little bit, but I want to ask you how you, kind of experience going public it's um it's kind of like a badge of yeah. honor to you i think yeah it you know i was thinking about this question when i was reading the, the pregame on this um it, it um it wasn't that big of a deal now financially obviously a big deal for for slack the company obviously um but and uh, slack even though my prior threes ipo the only one i was around for was at slack they did a pretty good job of sort of saying it's a sub team that's going to drive this whole process of incredibly complex process of sort of getting the company in shape to do it. But they did a really good job of communicating how it was going and who was necessary and kind of making it a very small set of folks. So um, did it affect our work um, a little bit? It was a little bit of a distraction, but at the end of the day, it was we were aware that it was going on. Some people were sort of involved in, you know, things that needed to happen, but, um, and definitely a badge of honor, but it wasn't a huge, it didn't vastly affect the work. It was a amazing day in New York when we went public and, you know, you're just like, Oh my God, what's going to happen here? That was, that was an amazing experience and sort of a great celebration to walk around wall street and see your, see your company logo up on a flag there and up on a big, huge banner there and all that. But, um, it, it was, it wasn't a huge distraction. And like, like there are people that were doing it would have a very different answer than what right. I'm giving you right now. <laughs> They'd be like, this was my life for nine months and it was hell. <laughs> so, um, but for me, it didn't really affect my work. Right. Um, there's a question here about integrations and, and um, I think that kind of um, is true of like every kind of new thing that you have implemented mm -hmm. into the product. Um, mm -hmm. How did that come around? It was already it was already there when I landed. The it was the platform team. So and it was it just seemed like an obvious extension to Slack. Slack is obviously there and you know pulling my people together into this sort of concept of a channel and getting things done. A lot of that done is done is just us going back and forth and you know throwing dancing penguin emojis at each other. Um, but the idea that like we were going to think of all of the things you could do there uh, was absurd. So they decided long before I got there to kind of make it this extensible platform. So it was uh, I wasn't part of that initial decision. I was there to kind of grow the team and do all those sorts of things. But it was it was an obvious thing that, you know, you're going to want to be able to. Or um, 
integrate with all of the different pieces of content out there like Google Docs or Quip or this sort of thing and have those be a lot lower friction. And, and just again, kind of, uh, I don't know how they're describing it now, but like I, I have Slack be your dashboard for everything about your company, whether that was who you're talking with or how you're organizing projects or how you're getting access to data um, that's coming in all these different places. I wanted it to be this dashboard for everything in your business. So, and that's that's what the goal with the the integrations, the, the platform was. Right, and the, and it turned out to be that you can you can yeah. do everything with it. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You mentioned a few names, but I am particularly interested in if there was anybody who helped your work a lot or who you you have really fond memories with. Uh, Cal, who hired me, is one of my favorite people on the planet. He, he and I are, uh, I, would, I wonder if he would say this. I think he would say this. I think we're good friends. We are totally different people. Like we are, you, you could not pick more different people. Um, uh, and I can explain that, but we're just totally different. But I think that we also are like, we know that because of our differences that we're, we were a good pair. Um, cause he was, I won't characterize him, but we were different people. <laughs> um, so that's one person that really, I learned a lot from, um, and continue to learn from. Um, but the other people are all my direct reports, my leadership team. I had just a phenomenal set of men and women who were running Slack. Um, many of them have are are now left Slack and are VPs elsewhere. And every time that one of my former directors ends up in a VP role, I go like, "That's right." You know, I'm very sorry for Slack for losing them, but I'm I'm very happy that I had a little bit to do with all of these humans, you know, being VPs at companies. I'm like, I'm like, yep, that's right. I would hire them to be a VP in a second. Great. Good job, Company X. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome, world. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah, it's great. And we are kind of out of time here, so I'm just um, yeah, yeah. trying to get the most of our conversation. Um, yeah. Did you, um, did you have any kind of really challenging, challenging, like, <laughs> talking to you is almost like you know life happens and you take your work seriously right. and and you fix things and then you kind of smooth out the possible drama before it arises if you're doing your job well but sounds like a good story <laughs> i'm sure yeah like i am sure you have had to go through really difficult situations yeah if you care to share one perhaps from slack yeah um let's see so many well we talked about one which is sort of like we have crumbling infrastructure we don't need to go over that one as well um i i think uh i don't know if it's a, a experiment but it was more of a, of a failure on on my part as a senior leader we had a, a bunch of data come in about hiring um and um it was uh it, so it's this big spreadsheet how many people you've hired are they diverse or not all very important this is many years ago this is before the current situation that we're in right now and um the failure was i, I the way that i work if you ask me a question i'm going to give you an answer and if and if you if you say, um, hey, 
Lop, what are we doing? How are we doing on hiring, you know, women in engineering? I'm like, I'm going to tell you that answer right now. And here's the data. Um, that's just the way I work. Like I, your next question is to me is what's one thing you'd like to suggest to executives in growing companies? And the answer is tell the truth as quickly as possible. Um, it's really good advice by the way. Um, and, but let me tell you how it backfires. Um, so we had all this data in a spreadsheet and I, uh, I think my admin was like, Hey, someone was asking for this spreadsheet. Can, um, how, how are we going to share this information? I'm like, just send it to them literally like running between meetings on my phone. I'm like, just send them the spreadsheet. This was a horrible, awful, bad idea. Why? Um, it was just a spreadsheet of numbers with like numbers and like column headers that said, you know, you know, is a hire, stay on start date, whatever it was. And like it wasn't personnel. It was not personal information. Obviously I wouldn't have shared that. It was sort of, but it was aggregate information. And there needed to be someone to look through that information and to frame it. And to say, this is what we can learn from this. And like it was by itself, anybody, any person could take this and find the worst possible story. And I learned this about an hour later when someone said, oh, by the way, we're not doing this at all. And I'm like, what? And they're like, what's the spreadsheet says? I'm like, that's not what it says. You're reading that one row. And like there's 27 rows and you're like, but it was, it was, um, the, the 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 phrase that came out of that failure um, that I've used since then is don't YOLO the comms, um, <laughs> <laughs> which means there's this you're you have this you have an added burden added burden as a more senior leader about how you communicate and how what you're saying and how you're saying it and does it make sense and yes I really want executives to tell the truth quickly as possible but i also know that they they really need to be thoughtful about the things they're saying and it needs to stand up to scrutiny and it needs to be explained especially complex concepts around uh, diversity or or hiring or culture or pick your thing you have to think it through and that perhaps violates my advice to executives of do it fast um because i i want to do it fast. i want to get you that answer as quickly as possible but there's sometimes I'm going to say, that's a great question. I need to go gather the data and find the correct story for you. And, and to tell you that completely, it's going to take me some time. So I say that, and I wish I could tell you what it was right now, but I like, I need to be able to tell this story. I need to explain this strategy. I need to say why we failed on this thing in a very clear way so that it makes sense and it doesn't create confusion. Cause what I did as I created confusion, it, it's all was data there. And once we got everyone together and we said, hey, these are the things you can learn from this spreadsheet. These are the highs, these are the lows, this is how it fits together. And I was like, oh, cool, this isn't a disaster. I'm like, I know, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't give you the framing. <laughs> so that was one, and it, it, was, it, was, it was awful. It was awful, because I, 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 I YOLO'd the comms. <laughs> so do it fast and do it sensibly, <laughs> I think. Yeah, yeah. And tell tell the truth uh, as quickly as possible. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for yeah. sharing that story. I hope yep. that someone can learn from it and not make a mistake. Um, Thank you. Yeah, but if you don't make mistakes, then how do you like learn things? That's the other thing. Like I make, I make mistakes all the time. So that's, you know, but I learn as quickly as possible too. So don't be afraid of mistakes either. <laughs> yep. It's hard to be a leader. Uh, it really sucks. Yeah. It's, why would you want this job? 
So we have reached the end of our time and yep. pretty much the end of our questions. Is there anything else that you would like to share with the world? Uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing you all in person at some point. It seems like, uh, you know, we're, we're here in the US, we're after being horrible for so long, it seems like we're headed in the right direction. But I, I'm looking forward to like these sorts of things happening at conferences, face to face around the world and, and, and getting out and like actually being humans face to face again. So looking forward to seeing you all as soon as possible. That's awesome. I hope so too. We'll make it happen. Um, and where can we follow you? Uh, on Twitter, I am all pithy and snarky. Uh, Rans Twitter is Rans at Rans, um, and my blog is uh, RansandRepose.com. Um, that's where you can read all the stuff. There's about a thousand articles up there. Thank you so much, everybody who <laughs> yep. isn't following Rans yet. You should um, to learn a lot. Uh, thank you for joining us today again, and thank you for these Absolutely. stories. Um, I think we can all take a lot away from today's episode of the Level Up Engineering podcast. To our listeners, thanks for staying with us. I am Carolina Toth, and I hope to see you next time. Thanks for staying with us. This was the Level Up Engineering podcast by Apex Lab. Check them out at apexlab.io. And don't forget to subscribe to our channel, rate our content, and share your thoughts on this episode. See you next time.